0: let me pray. God, you are good. Your word endures forever. And Lord, my words I hope are helpful, but your words are authoritative and true. And so, Lord, would you bless this time. Would you speak powerfully. We thank you your word never returns void. And we thank you that it's profitable for teaching, uh, for correcting and making our lives look like you, Jesus. So, Lord, bless this time. Uh, If not, it's just a guy standing up here and talking. And, Lord, we pray that you would move powerfully. Lord, as we even just sang, uh, Jesus, you are the king. Lord, as you be big in this place. And, Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in this place. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I was prepping for this, and I was thinking that so many things in life are easy to say and hard to do, right? So many things. Easy to say, hard to do. Easy to say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. It's hard to choose salad over tacos, because salad is not very good, and tacos are amazing. Uh, it's, it's hard to say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the weight, because you know what? A couch is more comfortable than running. I know up here in the Pacific Northwest, we like to think, yeah, running's fun. It's not. It's not. You're you're delusional. It's not fun. It's easier to say I'm gonna lose the weight than actually doing it. It's easy to say I'm gonna read 20 books. You know, this year I'm gonna read 20. I'm gonna, you know, put down my phone and I'm gonna pick up a book. Uh, And then, again, the couch and Netflix and Instagram are a lot easier. The attention span is a lot easier just to scroll than to pick up the book, right? Uh, It's easy to sleep in versus to get up early and read. It's easy to say, hard to do. I'm gonna be patient with my children. And to that, I have nothing for you other than the Lord bless you and keep you and good luck. You're going to need the Spirit. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at an all time easy to say, easy to agree with, but hard to do passage. Some passages are hard to understand. That'll be next week. Some are hard to apply. And today, the challenge will not be comprehension, it'll be application. Uh, the text and my goal today is really to move us to action. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, if you have an app, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been walking through this book slowly, and so we're going to pick it up in verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible, you don't have an app, it's going to be up on the screen here, starting in verse 8. Let's jump in. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. See, the last month we've been spending, actually the last six weeks in many ways, we've been looking at Peter's calls to husbands and wives, to people under the government, to slaves and masters, and how all these different pockets in the church are called to live in specific ways as followers of Jesus. And it was all super easy, not controversial, it was super light, uh, not difficult at all. False. There's some really challenging things. If uh, any of this, if you missed any of those weeks, go back and listen. Jose did a great job walking through that. Right now, he's actually on a plane uh, to Israel, and so uh, he's joining us online. Also, if you are online, it's good to see you. Uh, We miss uh, having you here in person, but I'm so glad you can be with us online. I'll also say, if any of this stuff was hard, I know the last month and a half, there's been some challenging things here Uh, If you just are struggling, if you're wrestling with things, come find me after the gathering. I'd love to get together with you. Any of our staff, we would love to meet with you and process. And so it's not just left to you like, oh, just go figure that out. Uh, Come talk. We'd love to pray with you, process with you, and walk with you as you're uh, seeking to live all of life all for Jesus. And so Peter concludes today's section, though, with that finally all of you and gives a call for how the entire Christian community is to act and live together. And Peter gives five things here to close, to give all of us here together a charge. And so we're going to walk through them. Number one, be like-minded. Number one, be like-minded. Because the church is to be known for its unity, that we're living, living in harmony with one another, that we are one, for we collectively belong to Jesus. In a world that is splintering and splitting all over the place, the church is called to show a better way that reflects the very heart of God. Unity in diversity. And we've talked about this before many times, but the church is called to be a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Every background, every political persuasion, every tax bracket. Male and female, old and young, introvert, extrovert, single, married, awkward and awesome. (laughs) Ducks and beavers, Seahawks. Yes, Lord. Broncos. Gross. (laughs) If you know, you know. All of us. Only the gospel in all seriousness. Only the gospel. I mean, just like look around for a second. Only the gospel could bring us all together and make us one that we might be like-minded. See, discord and divisiveness in the church actually says something false about the gospel because the gospel of Jesus unites and crosses every dividing line. See, and I'm not talking, don't don't get my words twisted. I'm not talking about a unity that compromises the gospel. I'm talking about a unity because of the gospel. Amen? We're talking about a unity because of the gospel. Number one, be like-minded. Number two, Peter says, be sympathetic. The word here, and the original language can be translated, be understanding. This is the ability, this is the ability to see things differently from another's point of view. And all of our social media feeds are convicting us right now and condemning us, right? <laughs> the ability to see things from another's point of view. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ouch. <laughs> And if that's not a verse that captures the age of social media, I don't know what is. No desire for understanding, just expressing one's opinion. These are the waters we're swimming in. But rather than this foolishness, we are called to be marked by understanding as the people of God. Sympathy, empathy, seeking to understand where others are coming from, a curiosity in the lives and perspectives of others is salt and light in our world. So one, we're called to be like-minded. Two, sympathetic. And number three, love one another. Here's the deal. Everyone loves to talk about love. Everyone loves to think that they are on the side of love. No one's on, no one's on the anti-love board of trustees. No one's like, you know what uh, there's way too much of in our world? You know, the wagon, you know what there's way too much of? Love. There's just too much of it. It's awful. It's gross. It's just eroding the fabric of society. It's just destroying the children. It's polluting our moral fabric as a community. It's a shame. If only there was less love in the world, then we could progress as a, as a society. No one, no one believes that. I don't know what accent that was either. Uh, I'm confused as well. <laughs> Everyone is pro-love in talk and pro-love in posting. But often we're not so good at actually loving people, to put others first, to treat others the way we want to be treated, to seek the well-being of other people above our own, to consider, uh, consider others more significant than ourselves. This is love. This is what the church is called to be marked by, a genuine, real love for one another. I want to say part of this is not just because I'm in my role, but as a church, we really believe and love community groups. And we believe they're important because they help us actually love one another. Because I guarantee you, if you're in a community group, there's going to be someone there who's annoying. There's going to be somebody there who rubs you the wrong way. There's going to be somebody there that's difficult for you to be around. And that's good for us, right? And here's the deal. If you're like, I don't think there's anybody in the group like that. Maybe it's you, huh? (laughs) No, of course it's not you. It can't be you, right? No, of course not. Easy to say. Hard to do. Number four, be compassionate. To have our hearts moved by suffering and pain and misfortune of others. That's what compassion is. We're naturally compassionate towards the people that we're close to or the people we genuinely love, but the scriptures call us to make room in our hearts for others. This is difficult. This is difficult. So the call today, church, is let us move towards one another and not adopt the individualism of our day that only looks out for oneself. Be compassionate. And then number five, be humble. Moving on, verse nine. Uh, Be humble. Here's the deal. Here's the deal about humility. Humility is like the kale of virtues. Humility, even in Portland, let me tell you, kale. It tastes horrible. Humility is like the kale of virtue. It tastes horrible, but deep down, we know that it's probably good for us. But if we're honest, it doesn't feel worth it. That's humility. It is the kale of virtues. And I love this Tim Keller quote. It's inspired by C.S. Lewis. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of oneself less. Humility is not beating yourself up. It's not focusing on all your faults. It's not tearing yourself down. It's as Keller's fantastic book is titled. It's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Humility is the emancipation from the preoccupation of the self. Humility is a renouncing of viewing all of life through the lens of me. Being like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, being compassionate and humble, is what the Christian community is called to be. We are a contrast society as the church, called to show a different way to our world, and that is the way of Jesus. Peter is calling us to embody the very heart and way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is love, whose life was marked by compassion and humility, who is calling all people to himself. Peter is calling the church to be like Jesus, not just individually, but collectively as a community. And we have to ask ourselves, individually and communally, are these five things what the church is known for? Sadly, I think sometimes not. I think the church at times has a reputation of being divisive, of being proud, of of not being understanding, and only caring about its own self-interests. I want to say this is in all of our hearts. It's in my heart. It's in yours. It's in ours together. And today we have an invitation from Jesus to turn to him and from these ways that do not honor him, to turn to him and live according to his way. And again, this is easy to say. It's easy to nod our heads and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Humility, that's the kale of virtues, right? It's easy to nod our heads and say, yes. It's actually hard to be humble. It's easy to say, hard to do. But Peter, he does not stop there at verse 8. Uh, we're only one verse in. <laughs> uh, he turns up the heat. If you thought, verse, if you thought humility was hard, he's going to ramp up the heat here in verse 9 to an even harder word. Turn with me to verse 9. Peter says this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter is simply echoing Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount when he says to love your enemies, to bless when insulted, to pray for your persecutor, to not seek revenge, to invoke God's favor upon those who harm you. And I just have to take a pause on this and say what we're not saying. What we're not saying is to overlook injustice. What we're not saying is just take abuse we're blessed to live in a context and in a society where we have police and, and courts and governing bodies and, that are called to advocate and intercede and enact justice. And we should be utilizing those gifts and outlets. If you are struggling under abuse, call the police. If you are struggling uh, in these ways, come and talk to we will intercede for you. We will advocate for you. You are not stuck. This is not at all what this verse is talking about. It's just take abuse. What this verse is saying is don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with blessing. Which again is really, really, really easy to say and really, really, really hard to do. And I think we gotta be honest about our, our own kind in my life, when slandered, I want to retaliate, right? When, when, when insulted, I want to snap back, when there's a misunderstanding, if you misunderstanding, you bet, I want to educate some folks. And we're gonna clear up this misunderstanding real quick, right? No, you guys are all just angels. It's just me, huh? Yeah, this us go, like, I want, I want to clear these things up. I want, when sinned against, to retaliate, to escalate. When someone takes credit for what you did, you, you want to vindicate yourself. But the scriptures say, Repay evil with blessing. I was like, what? How in the world do we do this? And we got to look back at verse 9, at the second half of that. He says, track with me here, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And this, again, screams of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be up on the screen, Matthew 5. Jesus says this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven how can we live this life that the scriptures are calling us to including not repaying evil for evil I want to say foundationally, a place to start is we have to believe that it's worth it. Like, we have to believe it's worth it, right? Like, here's the deal. Let's go back to some of those first things that we were talking about, things that are easy to say and hard to do. What causes someone to get up at 4 a.m. and go work out like they're some comic book villain? Like, what are we, like, you're in your garage, like, working out. It's like, what are you preparing for? It's the middle of the night. Why do we say 4 in the morning, by the way? It's 4 in the middle of the night, What what causes somebody to do that, though? What causes somebody to go run out in the rain? What are you doing? What causes somebody somebody to abandon the glory of brisket and New York-style pizza to adopt a healthier diet? What causes somebody to stop compulsion buying and adopt healthy financial habits? What causes us to do these things? Because at some level you believe that there is benefit, it's worth it, it's worth the cost. How can we be understanding? How can we be compassionate? How can we be one? How can we even love our enemies? Well, we got to start by believing that it's worth it. You have to start by believing that there's reward in this because Jesus and Peter both clearly say that this life, the way of Jesus, that there is blessing and reward to this way. Church, there is reward in this life and in the life to come. For living according to the way of Jesus in this life is how we were meant to live. To live contrary to the way of Jesus is going against the grain of the universe. And to quote philosopher H.H. Farmer, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Imagine uh, you take a railroad tie and you just rub your hand against it the wrong way. Ouch. Ouch. I was nine years old and uh, we had a bunch of railroad ties at a friend's house in their backyard and we just were running on those things for hours. Get, get off, I'm like, man, my feet hurt. I looked down and it was just, they were brown. I mean, the whole thing was basically, I basically a railroad tie stuck to my foot, right? Because there's so many splinters. I think I still have splinters somewhere at the, you know, up in my foot. You go against the grain of the universe and you get splinters. To go against the way of Jesus is to get splinters. See, and there is also blessing on the last day. Great is our reward in heaven, Jesus says. Peter says, and live like this, that you may inherit a blessing. And that word inherit is important. It didn't say earn a blessing, right? It says inherit a blessing. And here's the thing. You do not earn an inheritance, right? This isn't live this way and then you'll be saved. It's live this way because you are saved. This isn't, you know, live this way and then you can be part of the family. No, it's you're already part of the family, so live like it. You see the difference? It's not do this and then you'll be loved. It's you're already loved, so live into it. And that's good news, amen? We are empowered to live this way if we believe that it it leads to blessing and reward and life in this one and the one to come. To live this way, we got to get in our bones. Again, these things are easy to say, hard to do. How do we do it? One, if you're taking notes, we got to believe that God is good and that he blesses and rewards what is right and good. But Peter gives a second motivation, another empowerment to live this way, and that's number two, that God is just and he opposes evil. He is just and he opposes evil. This next verse 10, he's just quoting from Psalm 34. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 here. He says, verse 10, it'll be up on the screen. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their le- lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Here's the thing, church, we can take slander we can take slander without retaliation. We can endure suffering if we believe that God is just, if he opposes evil, if we believe that all will be held accountable by the Lord. If we're going to live like this, we've got to get it into our bones that God sees us and that he will do something about the evil in the world. See, If I believe that one day God is going to right every wrong, then I don't have to be right. If I believe that one day God is going to right every wrong, then I don't have to fight for my rights. If I believe that one day I will receive God's affirmation, then I can endure slander. If you believe that on the last day God will vindicate you, then you do not have to vindicate yourself. But from another angle, if the scriptures say that God will hold all people accountable for what they have done, then this means that we will be held accountable for all that we do, including even how we retaliate when mistreated. This quote from Karen Jobes uh, sums it up well. Uh, got it here on the screen. This psalm here in 1 Peter cited is a reminder that God's face has always been against those who do evil. Whether that evil is perpetrated by members of the covenant community, the church, or by those outside. Therefore, the Christian's choice, don't miss this, in how to respond to others in every situation is a choice whether to be blessed by God or opposed by God. Each such choice is a microcosm of life or death. God blesses what is right and he opposes what is evil. In church, we have a choice. We have a choice. Will we live a life that God will oppose or one that he will bless will we live a life that God will oppose or one that he will bless see a few weeks ago you might remember I shared an image from my seminary professor about the suspension bridge and you have that image of you know you walk on the suspension bridge and then there are two guardrails And no one in their right mind would try to attempt to walk out on a suspension bridge if there were no guardrails. And God, in his mercy and kindness, gives us the path to walk along, which is like the bridge itself. And then you have these guardrails. Uh, One, he gives us promises to to keep us from falling into discouragement. Then he also gives us a guardrail of warning to keep us from falling into presumption. So we walk on the path of his commands to obey. Then we also believe the promises and heed the warnings. And today what we see... Is the path to obey in the commands are being one, to love one another, to not return evil for evil. That's what we're called to walk upon. But He also gives us a promise to encourage us, to keep us on this path. And that's that you will be blessed. There is reward. But He also gives us a warning to keep us from falling into presumption. And that's that God will oppose you and I if we walk in evil. Church family, we cannot control how we are treated. You can't. You and I, we cannot control how we are treated, but we can control how we respond. So big picture. I know this is, uh, can't be drinking from a fire hose here, but big picture. Peter is calling us to things that are impossible to do in our own strength. We can only by the power of the Holy Spirit live according to the way of Jesus. We're going to need the Spirit of Jesus if we're going to live into the way of Jesus. We need to renew our minds and believe the truth that God is good and that he is just. That one, he blesses what is right and rewards it. And two, that he opposes what is wrong. Peter is saying here that if we are going to do right, first we need to see God rightly. If we're going to do what is right, we have to start by rightly seeing God. We tracking with that? Amen? All right, you're with me. Peter continues, verse 13. He asks this uh, rhetorical question. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. See, Peter's saying, if you live out the way of Jesus, general wisdom says it's going to go well for you. Peter asks, again, that rhetorical question, who's gonna harm you if you're eager to do good and live this way? The answer is likely nobody because who is sitting there saying, oh gosh, there's those loving, humble, compassionate, generous people. Oh, the worst, right? Like nobody says that. Like odds are we live in this way. It's gonna go well for you. But Peter is writing to a suffering community and he recognizes the truth that sometimes even when you do good, You suffer for it. That even when you do what is right, sometimes there's a cost. And that was true then. And it's also still true today that you can do what is right. You can follow the way of Jesus and suffer for it. And it'd be painful and be difficult. See, sometimes honesty and integrity in the workplace, not manipulating those numbers, Not not being dishonest on that spreadsheet could lead you to getting passed up on a promotion or even get let go. You choosing not to sign off on that business deal because you know it's going to hurt people. You know it's not right. You may get let go. You know, maybe you're a, a high school student. You know, you're choosing not to party. You're choosing not to get drunk. You're choosing not to walk in this way. And that means you could be rejected by others. You could lose friends you walking in this way it might look like let's say you're a stay-at-home mom and you have that park date you know uh midweek where you meet at that park down the street and this last week you know you met there and this one lady wasn't there and then all of a sudden the other moms they started gossiping and slandering about this person and then you know you interject and say you know what, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this things got awkward real quick Then you go to back two days later and you realize they're all back there again and you weren't invited right is it You got rejected in this. There was a cost to this. You know, you might be a young adult. We just saw a bunch of them on stage here. And you're trying to to adhere. You're trying to walk in the way of Jesus. trying to adhere to what the Bible's clear sexual ethic is. You're not sleeping around. You're not getting on those apps and doing that stuff. You know, there's a reality that it might result in mocking or slander. Or you might be sitting here saying, I'm 30 and I'm single and I don't want to be. And I could go down this road and dishonor Jesus. I could hook up with somebody. I could experience these things. I could experience this relationship, but it wouldn't honor Jesus. And you're sitting there and being like, I could go to that party and receive this affirmation, but instead I'm choosing to honor Jesus and I'm on a Friday night and I'm in high school and I'm alone. You know, there's a cost to this following Jesus. There's a cost to man, I lost my job in the middle of a pandemic. There's a reality of, man, I'm alone at the cafeteria uh, sitting by myself. There's a reality of, man, I'm still 29, and I'm still single, and it hurts. I'm trying, Jesus, to follow you, and it hurts. And there's a reality, I want all of you to hear this, that some of you in here, you're hurting. It's painful, and I want you to know that God sees all of it. God sees you. He sees you. And he blesses your faithfulness. He blesses your faithfulness. Suffering for doing what's right is unjust suffering. How can we endure it and be faithful in it? Peter quotes from Isaiah 8 there in the verse 14. You saw the quotes in there. That that original verse says, do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. See, Peter gives a third motivation. How do we, this is easy to say, hard to do, how do we live in it? Number three, Peter's calling us to exchange a fear of man for a fear of God. You may suffer for doing good. Your boss may fire you. Your coworkers may mock you. Your friends may reject you. Your parents may be disappointed in you. Your world may oppose you. You may indeed suffer for it. Do not fear them, Peter says. And what Peter is implicitly saying, Jesus makes explicit in Matthew 10. Just let this uh, wash over us here. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I'll say this is a strong word from Jesus. But We need to hear it because we can stand firm and walk in the way of Jesus, not fearing man or the consequences of man when we revere Christ as Lord. Just as only a greater love drives out a lesser love, how do you get over the ex-girlfriend? You fall in love again. (laughs) Like how? How you know? How does this? Why does a mom throw herself into harm's way to protect her? You know, toddler son. Because a love for a child is greater than a love for self-preservation. Only a greater love can drive out a lesser one, and in the same way, only a greater fear or reverence will drive out a lesser one. See what they're saying here. What Jesus and Peter are saying here is: Don't revere man. Revere the one who is the creator of all mankind. Don't be afraid of suffering or death. Serve the one who has conquered death through suffering. The answer to a fear of man or suffering or death is a greater fear of the Lord. And again, we've got to define our terms. We talked about this a little ways back, but remember, fear of the Lord is about loving, reverent awe, not terror, not being scared of, It's loving, reverent awe. It is the appropriate response of being in the presence of majestic, awesome greatness. The fear of the Lord, you might remember this image, is like being at the Grand Canyon. You get there and you unprovoked say, wow. You you get, I lived in Arizona for nine years, my family and I, and you get to the Grand Canyon and it's not like a mountain where it's like you can see yourself getting closer to it, right? You're like, are we close? Like, I don't, like, are we there? Like, what's going on? You even park in the parking lot and there's a tree line so you can't really see it. But once you break that tree line and step out and look at it, if you just set a microphone out on that railing, you would hear over and over and over again. Wow. Whew. Look at that. And then just silence. There's Nobody talking on the phone. There's nobody scrolling on Instagram. You're just there in awe. It's like, you know, we're still newer here. I mentioned this last time we were talking about the fear of the Lord. Like you get into Cannon Beach and that first, you're take the left at Pelican Brewing and you're about to see Haystack Rock for the first time. And imagine if you put a microphone and a camera on everybody's car when they drove there the first time. Every time they see that rock for the first time, they go, oh my God. Goodness! Look at that. There's, and there's no, here's the deal. I can tell you, I've been to both. There are no signs at the Grand Canyon that say, "Say wow now." Insert, insert applause here. Like, there's no, there's no signs there on the road saying, "Look amazed." This is not like a '90s sitcoms where it's applause. Like, it's an unprovoked wow. You cannot help but be amazed. And this is what the fear of the Lord is all about. If you think of the Grand Canyons amazing. Imagine the God who drew it with his finger. If you think the sea is amazing, imagine the one who literally just said, "Let there be." and the seas sprouted from the depths. See, everyone who encounters God is on their face, declaring allegiance, saying... Wow. Is it's the only natural and appropriate response of being in the presence of God. Peter says in verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Means see Jesus rightly. This means honoring Jesus in our whole hearts. And with our whole lives, which again, all the, it's easy to say. It's easy to nod our heads and say, yes, I'm going to honor Jesus. And it's hard to do. How do we do it? Again, we've got to believe, one, if you're taking notes, that God blesses and rewards what is good and right. That two, he opposes what is evil. And three, we must exchange a fear of man for a fear of God. We must revere Christ in our hearts. Three. And here's the thing. If we're going to live full of sacrificial love, reverent fear of Jesus, non-retaliation and suffering, enduring for doing good, Peter says, people are going to ask questions. And we better be ready with some answers. That's what Peter leads us to. Suffering, see, is not merely something to endure, even for blessing. It is also an opportunity for witness. It's an opportunity. Keep reading. Look at the back half of verse 15 here. It'll be up on the screen. So again, revere Christ as Lord. Verse 15, the back half here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Why do we live this way? Our hope in God. How do we live this way? Our hope in God. Edmund Clowney poetically says this about this verse. You can throw that quote on the screen. Peter shows us that our hope provides both the courage for our witness and the content of our witness. I'm going to read that again. It's so good. Peter shows us that our hope provides both the courage for our witness and the content of our witness. Our hope is in the risen Lord. That's good news. Amen? That's good. See, the engine that we're fueled by is the hope of Jesus. And the message we proclaim is the hope of of Jesus. So the fourth thing, how do we do this? Easy to say, hard to do, for our hope in Jesus. See, Peter has spent a long time, spent a lot of ink on paper, talking about how to live out this hope. But what he's going to say now is how do we proclaim this hope? And he gives two words. They're not the words I would have picked, probably not the words you would have picked gentleness and respect. How do we proclaim this hope? Gentleness and respect. And I want to ask you, when you think about Christians doing evangelism, when you think about Christians sharing their faith, when you think about Christians engaging in healthy dialogue on social media in the comments section about issues of faith in Jesus, like, <laughs> what, what words come to mind? What words, I, for me, this is again, my social media is probably condemning me too. I often think the words that come to mind are more judgmental, brash, defensive, arrogant. More of those words than gentleness and respect. And yet this, gentleness and respect, is how we are called to proclaim our hope in Jesus. And we need to hear something. Gentleness and respect is not weakness. Gentleness and respect is not weakness. It is self- control. It is what exudes from an inner strength, an inner stability, an inner security in the gospel that's more concerned with being winsome than winning arguments. It's curious to get at the heart versus obsessed with being right. And here's the deal. I've been married for almost 10 years now. Uh, I haven't been in the game long enough as some of you guys, but I've been in the game long enough to know this. And y'all, if you've been in married for any amount of time, you know this to be true. Every couple knows that there is a way to argue. There is a way to strongly discuss. When you are right, and the way you going about it, man, it ain't. Like, there's a way to win the battle and lose the war. If you know, you know. Right? There's a way to engage in an argument. There's a way to engage in dialogue where you're technically right, but you're technically wrong. Right? Like... You know what I'm talking. Some of you are scared to laugh because, you know, you're hitting too close to home. I'm not sorry. Um, Here's the deal. If you know, you know. Karen Jobs again with a great word. Uh, She says this up on the screen. This speaks to at least two issues walking the talk and talking rightly. First, an effective testimony requires a clear conscience regarding one's personal integrity before the Lord. One cannot explain the hope we have in Christ while living in ways that contradict that hope. Stop. Bold words that are not lived do not honor Jesus. We have to walk the talk. Second, she says, even the best-intentioned testimonies must be conducted in an appropriate manner. If Don't miss this. If offense is to be taken, it should be over the content of the gospel message, not because the message was offered in a manner that invalidates Christ's love for seekers and people. The Christian testimony must reflect humility and respect for the hearer. Because here's the deal, church. The only thing that should be offensive about a Christian is the gospel. The only thing that should be offensive about you and I is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are blessed if we suffer for doing good, not for being a jerk. We are blessed if we suffer for doing good, not for being a jerk. Not for being rude. We are blessed if we suffer for doing what's right not for being a jerk. Amen? 26 West, we are called to imitate Christ with our lives, revere Christ in our hearts, and bear witness to Christ with our words. See, we are called to imitate Christ with our very lives, revere Christ with our hearts, and proclaim Christ with our words. We believe, we live, and we speak Christ. Peter ends today's section, though, in verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And this verse can be confusing. Does God will suffering in our lives? Karen Job's one final time. It won't be up on the screen. Just let this wash over us here. The point is not that God wills suffering, but that God wills doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong even if and when this results in suffering. It is God's will that Christians remain faithful and obedient, even if suffering results. I think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A lot of us on staff, this story has been standing out to us. Where the king says, bow down before this statue, right? And they say, we will not. And they stand before the king and they say, even if you throw us in the fire, we will not bow down. God wills us to do what is right, even if suffering results. Because a major theme in this letter of 1 Peter is faithfully enduring suffering. We already heard in chapter 1, if you go back, Peter said that even if we do walk through suffering, remember It's only for a little while. Remember our hope in Jesus. Church, today, I don't know if we remind ourselves enough of this, church. Today, we are one day closer to eternal life than we were yesterday. Today, you are one day closer to restoration and Jesus returning and making all things new. Today, you are one day closer to all wrongs being made right. You are one day closer, brother and sister, to every tear being wiped away. You are one day closer, brother and sister, to your faith being made sight. Remember this end. Remember Christ's victory. Remember your destiny. Today is easy to say. It's easy to nod our heads to. It's easy to check the box on a piece of paper and say, I co-sign. It's going to be hard to do. So to close church in the midst of all of life's trials, all the suffering, all the trouble, let's remember Jesus' words from John 16. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says. But take heart, For I have overcome the world. This is our hope. This is the content of our message. And this is the motivation that compels us to live out our message. That Jesus is alive and he has overcome Satan's sin and death and evil in the ways of the world. Amen? For some of us today, as the band comes forward, for some of us today, the call is to keep doing good. To keep enduring. For some of us, the call is to speak up to proclaim the hope you have in Jesus. And for some of us, it is a call to turn from sin and walk in the way of our Savior. But for all of us, the call is to be faithful. For God sees you. He blesses you. He will reward and bless what is right. He will oppose what is evil. He is Lord Revere him in your heart. And our hope is in Jesus. This is our call. So 26 West, in word and deed, in our hearts and in all of life, proclaim our hope in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we have a living hope because you are alive. This is not good advice today. This is good news. Jesus, would you strike us again with just the amazement of your gospel? Would you strike us again with your glory and majesty and awesome power? Would we revere you in our hearts? Would we take comfort knowing that you oppose all evil? And would we rest assured, for those of us that are struggling right now, that you bless and reward what is right? Jesus, you say, count the cost to following you. Slander may come. Disappointment may come. You promise we will have trouble. But it is worth it. You are worth it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we believe, help our unbelief. Help us get this in our bones. Help us respond to this now as we sing, as we take communion in a couple minutes. Jesus, your hope is the content of our message. Your hope is what compels us to proclaim this message and live out this message. Help us do it in all of life, faithfully. We want to honor you, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen.